0: Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, it might be hard to believe, but school is going to reopen across much of Idaho within the next month. And as the beginning of the school year approaches, coronavirus case numbers are rising across the state. We're heading into the fourth school year that in one way or another will be affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. But what will that effect be and how will that unfold? To get some answers, I sat down this week with Dr. David Pate. He is the retired CEO of the St. Luke's Healthcare System. He has sat on Governor Brad Little's Coronavirus Task Force, and he's been one of our go-to sources in Idaho for information and context about the pandemic. I'll warn you that there's a glitch in our interview. About 20 minutes in, the uh, Zoom connection breaks down. Zoom still has surprises for us, even in 2022. But the connection does come back. Everything does rally. And we wrap up the interview. So, So bear with us. About 20 minutes in, we've got a little bit of a hiccup. But it's a good interview. And I hope you'll stick with it from start to finish. Here's my conversation with Dr. Paid. Well, Dr. Pate, this feels like the annual checkup that nobody wants, <laughs> but, but here we are, we're heading into another school year and we've got another COVID-19 variant looming. So let's just start with the, the overview. I mean, what should people know about BA-5?
1: Well, I think that really, you know, the BA-5 is going to only be with us a certain amount of time and then it'll be something different. But I think if you look at the big picture of coronavirus, what should you take away from this? What you should take away from is every variant of concern that has come along, the thing that has given it an advantage is transmissibility. Mm -hmm. So each one has been more transmissible than the last. We have a new spin with BA5 and also with BA4, but that's not as much of a problem, and that is what we call immune evasion. That's a little bit of a misnomer because the BA5 doesn't actually completely evade our immune system. What we mean by immune evasion is uh, this virus is learning ways to get around some of our immune defenses, not all of them, but some. And what the consequence of this has been is that if you are relying on so-called natural immunity, or if you are hopefully relying on vaccine-induced immunity, you are gonna be more likely to be infected with BA5 still either rate, what we call like a breakthrough infection mm-hmm. than you were with previous variants like Delta or Beta and so forth. But the good news is at least immunity is still protecting most people from getting severely ill. Right. Who who are the people that get severely ill and die today? It's the elderly, the immunocompromised and the unvaccinated. Okay.
0: So a lot to kind of drill down into here with this new variant and knowing this is not going to be the last variant, but this is the variant we're going to be dealing with in the next month or so when school reopens. Let's talk about that transmissibility. That puts us in a different place, maybe than even with Delta and Omicron. This feels like it just spreads just more rapidly.
1: Well, that's right, Kevin. So uh, here are the specific considerations relating to schools, school-age children. Number one is ever since the beginning of this year, when we started dealing with the various Omicron uh, subvariants in the United States it has been infecting and affecting more and more children. So we get a higher percentage of children infected these days than we did last year, or and certainly more than the year before. And so it's not like children are somehow magically immune. Uh, so children are getting more infected. They're still overall doing well, but when you look at just children and you look at the causes of things that cause children to become severely ill or die, COVID is right up there. It's in the the top 10 list. So we shouldn't be cavalier. On the other hand, our kids need to go to school. They need to be in school. They can be. It can be done safely. In fact, there is a school in Texas that has not had an infection arise in and spread in their school in two years because they're using what we know to be the things that protect children. And so I think that parents need to look at what do I need to do to protect my child and schools need to look at what do we need to do to protect the children because the common goal should be Let's keep schools open, let's keep kids not getting sick, but learning, and let's get them back on track.
0: Okay, so starting from that point, I mean, we reopen school as as normal and kids go back into school. This particular variant, what's interesting to me about it and what I want to ask about is this seems to be one that people can get again within a few weeks. The reinfection rate is higher. So I'm kind of wondering, what does that mean for schools? What does that mean for yeah. an environment where we got kids together, teachers together? Does this, does this just sort of burn through the schools and continue to burn through the schools, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, great question, Kevin, so several things. One, the increased transmissibility of this variant means you put kids indoors without precautions, you are going to have, you're going to have this infection spread through schools that's number one now of course number two is remember those kids that that infection doesn't stay in the schools those kids will then take it home Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's there's that number two is you brought up a really good point what we're seeing today that we didn't see nearly as much with previous variants is that reinfection rates are much higher first of all we had the wrong guidance about reinfections earlier uh, because it's what the, it was the best understanding at the time and that was that a reinfection would be at least more than 90 days. So in other words, getting infected would protect you for at least three months. What we have found is with the various Omicron uh so I'm talking about BA1, BA2, BA4, BA, BA5. The, these variants aren't what we call as immunogenic. They don't, if you get infected with them, they don't cause you to develop a strong immunity. And there's lots of viruses like this. This is not unheard of. But this, these variants don't. And therefore, people are more subject to reinfection. You are most you're most subject to reinfection if first, your previous infection was mild. Second, if it's within the first uh, uh, few weeks of a new variant arising. That's when we tend to see the most um, uh, reinfections. But what this means for parents if the parent is thinking, okay, well, I don't have to worry about little Timmy because he had BA2 uh, infection before the end of the last school year, that's not correct. Uh, little Timmy now is going to be vulnerable to getting infected again. What the most important question is that I can't tell you the answer because we just haven't, we don't have enough t- time of having studied this, and that is what are the consequences? to anybody, and especially children, if they get multiply reinfected.
0: Right, is it a long COVID issue?
1: Yeah, and others. What what is the long-term impact on the health? We just don't really understand that well yet.
0: So we know at this point that this appears to be a more contagious variant and one that we're more likely, more susceptible to getting over and over again. What do we know about the severity of this variant relative to the others?
1: It's confusing. There are uh, certainly what we've done to try to answer that question is we've looked at the behavior of this variant in other countries where it's already raged through those populations. We have seen some countries where it didn't seem to be as bad as prior waves. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are seeing a number of countries where in fact the BA5 surge is actually been their worst one and Portugal one of the first countries outside of South America uh, South Africa to be and uh, have this become predominant in their population they just released a study showing that their hospitalizations during BA 5 was double what it was with BA 2 which would have been um, for us uh, back in about April
0: mm-hmm. okay with this new variant what's the one thing that principals or school administrators should do differently this time around
1: yeah well and i'm glad you had asked that kevin that was one of my frustrations dealing with uh, schools uh, previously and that is schools school boards often approach this as a binary choice do we require masks or do we not? And that seemed to be their whole uh, hinging, their whole plan on that.
0: That's and the, the whole debate centered on masks. I mean, that became the discussion yeah. point to the exception of anything else.
1: Exactly, because that was the hot button item. And the problem was, is there's lots of things we can do. It's, it doesn't have to all be masks. Now, if, if you can effectively do masks, at times when we're having surges, like, like we are now, Masks are a great idea and they're very helpful. That doesn't mean you have to have masks all school year because we've seen these surges come and go. When it gets down, when it's coming down and it's a low level, you don't have to to rely on the mask. But when it goes up, that's a great time to impose the mask requirements. But there's other things you can do and what I wish schools would do is spend more time thinking about, okay, masks aren't popular. We don't want to get mired in all that debate. Let's talk about what else can we do to decrease the risk, keep our students uh, healthy in, in school, and keep our teachers healthy. And there's a lot of financial reasons why schools should want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so look at air ventilation, air filtration, air treatment so there's a lot of, of things they can do to uh, address this and make it much safer.
0: And what's the one thing that if you're a parent, what should you be doing differently this time? If you're sending your kid to K twelve school or sending your 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 child to college,
1: I think the the number one thing, of course, is that if you get your children vaccinated, we know. They have less chance. It doesn't eliminate the chance, but it. They have less chance of getting long COVID. They have less chance of developing this feared uh, pediatric complication called MISC that right. ends mm-hmm. them up in the hospital. They have less time, less chance of getting very severely ill, and. You may remember that there was uh, this unexplained hepatitis we were seeing in young children. It now looks like that was the sequela of having been infected. So. I think we just need to uh, yes we don't need to panic kids generally are going to do well they're not going to face serious illness but we don't know what those long-term health consequences are so try to keep them healthy how can you do that one get them vaccinated that's the single best thing you could do second talk to your school about okay what protections are you going to take if we're seeing a big surge will you implement masks? if not will you allow our children to wear masks and will you prevent bullying uh, for wearing a mask uh, so talk to your schools uh, ask them what have you done to improve the air handling in your schools what are you doing to try to move school um, teaching meals that kind of thing out of doors what what are the things that you're doing to try to mitigate a, a infection going rampantly through the school
0: what is your take you, you mentioned the vaccines uh this is a difference this time around as opposed to previous school year we've got the vaccine available for children as young as six months are the numbers that you're seeing in terms of vaccination rates in idaho uh, are they disappointing to you or are they about what you expected uh, how do you think that affects both. things
1: <laughs> both disappointing and about what i would expect Uh, And, you know, and I feel very
0: sorry for
1: uh, parents that have been really barraged with a lot of misinformation and disinformation, and it's been very hard uh, on parents because when they hear those kinds of things, they get scared. Um, I have... Uh, Everyone in my family has been fully vaccinated and boosted, all of the uh, grandkids, uh, you know, the day that we could do it, we got them in there and I would do anything that would put one of my grandchildren in danger. So, you know, I think talk to somebody that knows about this stuff, get your questions answered because we have across the world vaccinated millions of children. So it's you'll hear things about. Well, you know, this is a new vaccine. Well, it's a new vaccine, but we've used it more than probably all the common vaccines put together because of the effort to vaccinate the world. So we we actually kind of know what are the the challenges. And yes, there are some potential adverse effects of vaccination. But in almost every case, if you will compare the rate of those complications versus with getting COVID, the ones from vaccine pale in comparison. And so it's not about that. Is there a risk-free choice that the real decision is balancing the risks? And I think if you're well-informed, you'll find out the risks of COVID far outweigh the risks of getting the vaccination.
0: And is there anything you see in the research that suggests that there's any difference in terms of the safety or the efficacy of the vaccines in young children as opposed to adults?
1: No. So if you if you look at young children, the the group where we have seen an issue with respect to now, I'm just talking about the mRNA vaccines, Moderna, and Pfizer, is young adult men. So kind of like the 16 to I think it's 28 range we have seen in, in those, so that is not young kids, this, we haven't seen it in young kids, this is older and it's overwhelmingly boys for some reason and men, they do have a higher risk of getting the myocarditis or pericarditis, that inflammation around the heart. Now, that sounds terrifying. Uh, the good news is that even though they have a higher risk of getting that with the vaccine, if they get it from the vaccine it's almost always very mild and they're over it in a day or two and there's no long-lasting impairment to the heart now contrast that with covid because if you get covid these same uh, age group uh, 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 boys and men they are about 20 times more likely to get myocarditis or pericarditis from covid than they are from the vaccine and when they get it from covid it typically is much more severe and it can cause more long-lasting problems so again it's not about making the risk-free choice it's about balancing the risks mm-hmm.
0: as long as we're talking about vaccines let me ask you more <laughs> of a global question about childhood vaccinations because uh, even before the pandemic i mean we were writing about this before COVID 19 that idaho had some of the highest vaccination opt-out rates in schools. Uh, Audrey Dutton at Idaho, Capital Sun, wrote uh, earlier this week about polio and how polio vaccination rates in the state are dropping. Are we at a tipping point here in terms of vaccine hesitancy, uh, not just with the COVID-19 vaccine?
1: Well, <coughs> excuse me, Kevin. <coughs> yes, I am very concerned about that. And I'm concerned about it because I think that a lot of the anti-vaccine campaign efforts have really been amped up with the COVID uh, vaccines and playing on the public's fears about that. And I think with the intended, the consequence, that that will spill over and that there'll just be a general hesitancy to get vaccines. That would be really bad and and why do I say that? Well first of all, you just gave the example of polio. Uh, so we have not had a case of paralytic polio in the United States for I think uh, 20 or 30 years. Now we have one and, and 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 this person in New York is paralyzed now because they didn't get a vaccine shot. Um, we don't have to look just in the United States uh, in Australia we had an outbreak of diphtheria uh, i have I've have never seen a case of diphtheria and that's because the vaccines are so effective but these this was in uh, a, a, a number of families that chose not to get vaccinated and now two children got hospitalized with diphtheria which can kill children and so, I am worried about this. This is concerning. And, and I think so there's that one component of just that we're getting parents scared. The other is that with everything that's gone on with COVID and the disruption to our lives and even the disruption with our healthcare system, sometimes it's not that the parents are, are hesitant about getting vaccine. It's just that things have slipped through the cracks and, and so some of those children who were due for vaccinations didn't get them. And what I would just say to those parents is, if you think it's possible that your child behind, check with your pediatrician or your family physician, get your child behind, talk to their office about a plan to
0: Okay, you broke up a little bit there, Dr. Pate. Uh, um, kind of close that thought. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I, I think my No, nope, internet... it's 2022. We're, yeah, we're still struggling exactly. with Zoom here.
1: So I, I would just say that it's, it's not all about being anti-vax or vaccine hesitant. For some parents, it's just been, this has been a very disruptive time, both for their families, maybe for, at work, maybe with their uh, medical uh, system. So they may have just gotten their behind on vaccines and if that's the case check with your pediatrician check with your family physician if your child is behind work on a plan for okay how can we get caught up with those vaccines
0: and whether it's a case of a parent getting getting behind whether there's a logistical challenge to getting the vaccine or it's a an opt-out for whatever religious or personal reason uh, that parent cites it does set up the potential for problems in schools that aren't COVID-related. I mean, measles, for example.
1: That's right. Absolutely right. So, uh, first of all, we have to realize, and you won't know who these children are in all cases, but I would be surprised if there's any school out there that doesn't have a number of immunosuppressed or immunocompromised children in their school. So those children, even if they've gotten vaccinated, they may still be at significant risk. So we need to protect them. Uh, The other thing is we need to think about uh, other vaccine preventable diseases like influenza. Uh, What we do is we look to the southern hemisphere to see how influenza is going to predict for the upcoming year. And right now the news is not good. Australia is uh, reporting that they're having the highest influenza activity that they've had in five years. That's uh, We don't have all the details, but that's not a good sign for the United States. That's predictive that this may be a bad flu year. And so we really have to think about getting everybody flu shots as well, because these infections don't always just occur singly. In other words, just because you have COVID doesn't mean you can't get influenza or vice versa. And and co-infections can certainly make people far more ill.
0: And obviously, as we've talked about before, anything that you do that is a COVID prevention can also be a, an influential in influenza prevention in, in terms of.
1: well it, you know, it will help it's not a substitute for sure it, but yeah. but certainly the public health measures that we talked about for COVID. W- when we were really implementing those in 2020 we saw almost no influenza that's really surprising but great news and that's the thing that we can do we know now how to protect Children from getting infected in large numbers, and if the schools will implement these practices, we can keep schools. We can keep children in school all school, uh, school year long.
0: A last question to kind of bring it back to COVID and bring it back into into focus for the next school year too. This is the fourth school year that's going to be affected one way or the other by this pandemic, and I think we can all agree. Everybody's sick of it. Everybody's tired of all of this. Yes. But. We're heading into another year of it, and you know, there's still, there's still a vaccine, there's still a virus out there. Are you worried about you know school officials and parents maintaining vigilance? And what's sort of your message to them about it's another school year under the cloud of COVID? Here's how you you need to address it and approach yeah. it.
1: I am worried about that, Kevin. Uh, I mean, we see it all around us. Uh, People are done with COVID, Uh, and of course, your mental attitude about this has nothing to do with how the virus is actually going to act. So yes, you can approach this with denial. Denial is usually not a healthy or productive coping mechanism. I think the best thing is just realize the reality of it and just say, look, we don't have to be victims. We know how to protect children, protect our teachers. And it doesn't mean we have to take drastic measures like had been done before, but let's take common sense measures and how we can protect people. Because if even if you deny that this is gonna happen, if the virus gets in there and it, and as we talked about, it just keeps getting more and more contagious. It's gonna spread. So you're gonna deal with it. You can deal with it on the front end or you can deal with it on the back end. It just seems to make a lot more sense to me to deal with it on the front end. And let's keep kids in school. Let's not have to you know, go to hybrid or go to you know, uh, at-home uh, school. Let's just take simple measures, practical measures, and let's keep people as healthy as we can
0: and take what and take what we've learned from the first 3 school years of this and apply Amen. it
1: and, and keep in mind Kevin this isn't gonna be our last, you know. So even you know, here we are with dealing with COVID, we already now have another pandemic with monkeypox. And there's gonna be something after that and something after that. And the key thing is the things we have to worry about school is those viruses that transmit in the air. And so you take these measures now, you make these investments in your air handling now, it's gonna help you down the road too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Pate, thank you for putting this all into perspective. Uh, I always appreciate your time and your expertise.
1: My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me.
0: Again, that was Dr. David Pate, the retired CEO of the St. Luke's healthcare system. I want to call your attention to a lot of stuff at our homepage, idowednews.org. It's been a busy week. We've got a lot of news for you to catch up on if you haven't been reading up on the site. The Reclaim Idaho Education Funding Initiative made it onto the ballot, that's official. Uh, Sadie Dittenberg has the story on that. And I have a follow-up piece about how the initiative might cost more than was originally forecast. That's the opinion from Deputy Attorney General last week. I have a story explaining all of that. Sadie also has a really good piece looking at crowdfunding, how some teachers have used this approach to pay for school supplies and to cover other needs, and how some school districts aren't sold on the prospect. Sadie has a good piece explaining all of that. Carly Flandreau has a piece looking at SAT scores and what we know about how Idaho students fared on the college entrance exam this year. And I have a piece looking at mental health counseling at Boise State University. The university is in the process of hiring several new staffers. They're gonna be paid for through student fees. I have a piece looking at how that all came together. All of those stories, you can find them at idoednews.org. Check in at our website every day for the latest on education policy and education politics. Follow us on Twitter at idoednews. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking news items follow us on Facebook, comment on our stories there, and check back here next Friday for another podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Take care and have a good week.